There we go. You got to get the infamous unmute button on. Uh, oh my God, you guys. I, I am so excited to be here. And I was trying to unmute myself. So I missed. How long do I get to talk, Teresa? 40 minutes, and then we'll do 40 minutes of QA. Oh God, 40 minutes. <sighs> okay. I will get my job done. Okay, well, let me tell you, between Ollie and uh, Teresa, I cannot say no to them. I don't know why they have voodoo magic spell over me. I am not doing Zoom again, so don't think that this gives all you guys the idea to call me and say, oh, you're back doing Zoom. No, I'm not. These two, I cannot say no to. I don't know why they have some sort of spiritual hoax over me, but I can't say no. So. I'm doing this talk because I love these two. I love their idea. I love their enthusiasm. And it's an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, but don't anybody get the idea now to bombard me and say, oh, Katie's doing Zoom again, because I'm not, okay? Made that clear. My home group is the primary purpose group of Alcoholics Anonymous in Austin, Texas. We meet, yes, we do, for the last five months on Tuesday nights at 7.30 at uh, 2701 South Lamar. If you're ever in Austin, please come see us. Call us, let us know you're coming. We'll have coffee, we'll have dinner before or after. Uh, always love it. Love to see how many people actually come to that meeting. We have over 200 people studying the big book. It's a unique big book study. We study the book based on what the text is saying. We try to stay away from your experience. Not that there's any problem with your experience. It's just at this meeting, we're trying to understand the text. It's a very interesting, uh, concept. Uh, we had such an overwhelming response, we uh, decided to keep the Zoom alive. And so we started over with Zoom uh, on uh, the doctor's opinion. And it's a Wednesday night meeting. I'll uh, put it in the chat later. The uh, If you got a pen, write it down. The Zoom number is 630-577-473. Tuesday nights, 730. I'm sorry, Wednesday night, 730. Central Standard Time, no password. Um, it's been a great meeting there. We're having about 400 people come to it. We're having some incredible, incredible uh, conversations about the big book. Just, it's amazing. There's, there's big book enthusiasts around the, the world and it's so nice to have. We got a chick named Di from Australia that's just brilliant. Um, I'm a little bit like taking a drink out of a fire hose. My husband likes to say that. It's, e it's easier coming from him than from me. I'm a lot coming at you and uh, I like it. So there you have it. Uh, I also like to say I'm the vessel to help you get connected to the power. I am not the power. I don't know what boy you should date, what car you should buy, what job you should, should take, but I can tell you how to get connected to the power so you can hear the undeniable voice of God tell you what you should do, not what I should tell you. I'll give you the pros and cons, but let me tell you, that's what I love about this 11 step meeting. And I wanted to, I really wanted to talk about this, uh, this uh, attitude because it's so, so important. Uh, and, you know, I got sober October 28th of 1984. I, I, I know pitiful incomprehensible demoralization. I was 26 years old. I was a single mother, had a five-year-old daughter. I drugged that poor little girl through places she had no business being. Uh, I, I, I was raised with values. I clearly had stepped outside of my values so far. I knew there was something deeply wrong. I really thought it was outside issues, uh, some dry goods back in the 80s. 
come to find out it was alcohol. Nothing happened without alcohol for me. So really the, the simplest way to qualify myself is when I start, I can't stop and I can't stop starting. That's what makes me alcoholic. It's a very important piece of information that we do need to know, but that's, that's it. The thing about this meeting that I love so much is everybody's take on step 11. Now here can be the hiccup though, is I think people are desperately searching for the God of their understanding in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But if all I'm gonna talk about is the 11th step, you're missing the first 10 steps. And those are crucial steps to talk about, right? So, so 10 and 11 have very clear cut directions in the book. But if you haven't got a grasp of what the inventory process is about, if you haven't got a grasp of what that third step is trying to wake us up to, if you don't have a grasp of the first step, right, the allergy, the mental obsession, well, we're just kind of going through the motions and you're trying to get connected to this power, but you're blocked. I think it's really uh, uh, clear to me. There's a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous that are blocked. Zoom's opened up such an array for me to talk to people. You know, I was blocked for 17 years. You can run on self-reliance for a long time. And this is going to shock you. I never got arrested. I know. I can't even believe it. I should have gotten arrested. There's three events that I should have been arrested in. But I got away before the police came because I'm good at that. And stone cold sober. And that's what I want to talk about. I like to talk about the problems in Alcoholics Anonymous, not or the problems with uh, recovery, not not all the great glorious things that happen. Those are wonderful. But if you're on this Zoom meeting and you're not feeling it, well, <laughs> get ready. I'm getting ready to explain to you why that is. Right? The book implies trouble, gives tons of warnings. On page 25, blotting out of our blotting out our intolerable situation the best we can, or accept spiritual help. Page 53, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we can't postpone or evade. Either God's everything or he's nothing. And page 133, the deliberate manufacture of misery. God didn't do it, but when trouble comes, cheerfully capitalize on it. Do you hear both of those, right? One of them just sucks. And the other one really sucks, except God's help. Come on. If I need 200 bucks by tomorrow, you think I'm going to go to prayer? Of course, today I am but I've done a ton of work to get to that. Before in those 17 years, if I needed 200 bucks, I went to figuring it out. I didn't go to prayer. Why? Because I was so blocked, it didn't even cross my mind. The book says lack of power was our dilemma. Why are those two things a dilemma? Because they both suck. I'd rather blot out my intolerable situation than to pray for it, right? Go to a meeting on gratitude, that should fix it. See, those things didn't touch me. It says on page 45, lack of power, that was our dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. But where and how were we to find that power? Interesting question. Well, that's exactly what this book's about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. Notice it doesn't say drink problem. Problem, any problem you have, the book can solve it. That means we've written a book, which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. Huh, they throw the old moral in there. So darn, we got to live by some sort of moral compass. And it means, of course, that we're going to be talking about God, right? I swear, sometimes yeah, Charlie and I crack up, my, my husband, uh, Charlie Barker, he cracks me up because we always say, you know, oh, we're going to talk about God. That might run off the newcomer. 
What about the not drinking? I think the not drinking is going to disturb the newcomer a little bit more than the God thing, right? Of course, we're going to talk about God. That's all we have is we have identification and power. That's it, folks. I swear, if you don't like it, head on down the road, Jack. You know, I mean, if you can't get to the place to where this is about having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, that's what it's going to do. I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you to believe in God. Let the experience show. I'd be like me going to Jiffy Lube, asking them to, Jiffy Lube in the States is where you get your oil change. Be like me driving up there and asking them to, to clean my teeth. And the guy looking around going, uh, lady, we change oil here. I don't care. I want you to clean my teeth. I don't get it. I don't get why I'd have to convince somebody that they got to believe in a power greater than themselves if they understand the hopelessness in step one. Dr. Bob said the directions are clear cut, but everybody has a different experience. It's very interesting, right? Because what we have is oral AA these days, a lot of oral AA. I was a very big activist of oral AA. I'm not knocking it, but be very careful about what you hear. I was one of the people spreading the news that it was all about codependency, uh, you know, therapy and all of this stuff. And I'm not even knocking that, but I'm saying be careful. Be careful of what you get, because when you go out in the world and you go to a counselor, I think it's a, it's a privilege and an honor, but when you go to a counselor, they're going to talk about the problem. Who, who's in column one? Dad. What did he do? Oh, all these things. What did it affect? My self-esteem, my pride, my ambition, right? All these things. But they never get to the fourth column. Why? Because they're not supposed to. That's our job. So bring that information back to your sponsor. But if we're not careful in oral AA, we mix up the steps. We don't even identify what the book is trying to get across. I think it's easier to get an alcoholic to stop drinking than it is to get one of us to quit playing God. See, alcohol was the only solution to my problem. It was not the problem. As a matter of fact, if you've got time and you pick up a drink, it's not going to look like the problem. It's going to look like the solution. See, that's the cunning, baffling, and powerful part about alcoholism. Alcohol is the only thing that treated the pain of living a life based on self-will. So we're going to talk about God. Buckle your seatbelt. I like to talk about Bill's white light experience in the hospital, right? When Evie came and had talked to him and, and he, he found God and Evie says, make your own concept of God. He says, thus was I convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want him bad enough. That gave me goosebumps to read that. 36 years sober. I hope this stuff gives you goosebumps because the relationship you can have with the creator will bring me to tears all the time. I've never had anything like it, but I busted my ass. I swallowed and digested large chunks of truth about myself to be able to get unblocked so I could get that sunlight to shine through me. Teresa knows she and I, well, we'd have gone to jail together. And you know what we'd have done in jail? We'd look at each other and go, boy, that was fun. At least we had some fun. I mean, I'm telling you, there's hands down. I always said when they were trying to find Ben Laden, they should have sent Teresa and I out to find that rat. We'd have found him in a sand hole, pulled his ass right on out of there. Okay, back, back to the top. So it says, as lo uh, uh, at long last, I felt, I believed. This is what he's talking about. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. The real significance of my experience in the th cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, here comes some telling stuff. For a brief moment, 
I had needed and wanted God. There had been a humbling willingness to have him with me, and he came. You bet he did. But soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by the worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since. How blind had I been? My God, Bill's trying to tell us right there. If you think that you're going to get have a spiritual experience and do nothing and still keep that for 20 years, good luck. That baby's got an expiration date on it. Why? From the clamors of life. The word clamor in the 1936 dictionary means a violent expression of discontent. Welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous, right? So that's the problem. I think we, we misunderstand about this spiritual journey, this 10 and 11. 10 and 11 are such important steps. I didn't touch them, didn't touch them for 17 years. I was lucky to open up the 24-hour book and read it in the morning. If you continue to do 10 and do this inventory, oh, it says my internet connection is unstable. Can you still hear me okay? You got stuck there for a minute, but you're back. Oh, God forbid I freeze with my facial expressions. Okay, so so that's what I'm trying to say. Be very, very careful about this, right? It is that these, um, these not writing inventory, I'm going to get into all that. So step 11, suggest prayer and meditation. We shouldn't be shy on this matter of prayer, right? So what does that mean? Well, we ask for, for God to help us, but we never affirm it. Or most of us don't. I didn't even know you had to. I just kept saying, oh, God, please take away this pain. I mean, it became this almost pulling on the, the, the apron of the mother, you know, and I didn't realize that there are laws that dictate doesn't matter if you're Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, whatever you want, Native American, you can do whatever you want. We don't we throw the gates so wide open. Right. And so it says so you have to affirm because of the law of substitution. Right. So so if you believe you're going to lose your job, start affirming what an amazing employee you are, that you just breeze through this job wonderfully. Right. What a concept. Begin to start looking into. I like Emmett Fox. He, he explains the law so beautifully. And it's around the year with Emmett Fox. And I think it's January 23rd through the 28th. And, and they're beautiful laws. Start studying them. How do you study? You read a paragraph, go back through and ask yourself what each line means to you. We're not looking for a yes or no. We're looking for some depth. What does that mean to you? And it says better men than we are using it constantly. It works if you have the proper attitude and work at it. Well, here's we're going to get around to that attitude I was talking about. It'd be easy to be fake about this matter. Yet we believe we can make some definite and valuable suggestions. You bet your butt we can continue seeking. Most everybody on this Zoom tonight is a deep seeker. I mean, I remember when I was in the seventh grade, we did a lot of LSD seeking and, and, and we'd go to revivals up. Isn't that where you should go when you drop some acid? I know I don't ever talk about that, but that just made me think about that. It says with this attitude, you cannot fail. Where is that in the book? Page 55 says, yet we have begun to see another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from the world from the world, people who rose above their problems. This is trying to get us to see when you go to a meeting, you get hope, right? Because you see people coming out of this. Oh, don't be fooled. If too many people are coming out of this darkness and you're not, it will work against you, right? We see this all the time in AA. 
of miracles, talks, miracle after miracle. They said God made these things possible and we only smiled. Why? Because he's not doing it for me. Yeah, good luck. Best of luck to you. You know, a, an example would be a sponsee's doing better than you are. You know, God, that's not fair. I haven't had a relationship in four years and every sponsee I have is walking down the aisle, right? You know the drill. This is what it's trying to wake us up to. We had been spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Nah, not for me. God's not going to do it for me. He does it for everybody else, but he doesn't do it for me. Oh, I'm getting ready to tell you why you got the, that verbiage going on in your head. Actually, we were fooling ourselves for deep down inside every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. What do you mean by that? Well, we'll, we'll workaholism. Everybody wants to stick the word ism on the end of everything. We, in this meeting, suffer from alcoholism. We qualify for every goddamn 12-step program out there. But you don't need the, you don't need nine other 12-step programs. You need to treat your alcoholism and God will take care of all your problems. Oh, I know that gets some people's butt puckering, but I'm saying it because what you'll do is you'll go to these other uh, programs and you will manage that. That's not what it's about. You got one program. You are lucky. You hit the lottery being alcoholic. So you, you work too much. Why? Because you're not doing inventory. You're not doing what is required. So you got to fill that hole obscured by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. You, you gamble, uh, you overeat, sex, pornography, have more children, get deeply involved in your kid's life, you name it. If you're out there sponsoring the world, you will see what we all do. But in some form or other, it's there, right? Deep down inside every man, woman, and child, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and a miraculous demonstration of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. See, our understanding of God changes as we grow in, in recovery. Of course it does. What used to work when you had 18 months, saying the serenity prayer might pull you out of a jackpot. Try saying that at 18 years sober. It doesn't touch it. Right. Because you have to grow spiritually that it's like the same thing with maturity. It just works that way. And it says just as much as the feeling as a good friend, you know, that feeling it's an intimate personal relationship with the creator, God consciousness. After this talk, you're going to be conscious of what I say. Right. It might even go into tomorrow and you might be thinking, you know, when she said that. So you're conscious of me. We're trying to grow your God consciousness. Now, once again, like I said, you can do that through meditation. Meditation is beautiful. Silent meditation, if you do that, is great. I don't. I do a verbal meditation. Uh, silent just doesn't float my boat. But I do many other things to bring that in. I do deep 10th step. I do evening review on awakening, exactly as it's asked for in the book. I do love letters to God. They're really my favorite. The two-way prayer. Then it says sometimes we have to search fearlessly. But he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down inside every one of us. In the last analysis, it's only there that he may be found. Why did they say the last analysis? That's the last place we ever look is inside. I was always looking for God out in the clouds. I mean, I, I, I did church. I did everything. I was trying for knowledge, not experience. See, my big book sat on the shelf for 15 years. 
I had no idea the answer was at arm's length away from me. And I'm, I can promise you, people were trying to bring it to me. I remember it. And I was like, yeah, no, see, you don't understand. That, that, that doesn't have the answers. I'm going out here because we are blind to it. The same thing about God, deep down inside every one of us. But we are completely blocked by that calamity, right? That, uh, that, that uh, other things are constantly blocking us. Uh, it was so true with us, right? Here's the attitude. We can only clear the ground a bit. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Don't think you're going to just get it all away and bada bing, bada boom. There's the spiritual experience. Hallelujah. Stick it in your pocket and go on. That baby has an expiration date. Every spiritual awakening has an expiration date. And let me tell you, a spiritual awakening does not feel good. It's the enlightenment that does. Spiritual awakening is swallowing and digesting large chunks of truth about ourselves. It's all about subtraction, not addition. It says, so if we can only clear the ground a bit, if our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, that's what, the, that's what um, we agnostics is talking about. Prejudice, our prejudgment of everything. I mean, everyone here has a take on, on the, the, the pandemic, uh, on abortion, on uh, all, all the topics, hot, hot topics out there. It, you know, how you should parent children, how a neighbor should behave, how an employer should behave. We judge everything. And we think because we're sober, we're know-it-alls, right? That's what agnostic really means. It's just a big fat know-it-all. I mean, don't, don't you ever remember when you're a kid, people say, you're such a know-it-all. I think, I know, I am. It, it, it's the way it is. So if our testimony sweeps away prejudice, enable you to think honestly, enable you to think honestly, it would assume maybe we can't think honestly. We cannot differentiate the truth from the false. Our alcoholic life is the only normal one. You see, I thought all that meant behind booze. That means sober. That vicious cycle we're in with booze, we get in that same vicious cycle with emotions, right? We, we behave good. We do the work. We do prayer and meditation. We do 10 steps till we feel good. Then we quit doing it. Then we feel miserable. Then we go back and we do it again. And I'm telling you something. Uh, this is, don't, don't, don't take this as an insult, but it's a fact. The majority of folks in Alcoholics Anonymous don't get out of that vicious cycle till they're about 20 years sober. I don't know why. I call it the teenage years between really seven years and 20. And they are the teenage years where you know it all. You can't tell me nothing. I got double digits. And you do the vicious cycle over and over and over. So it says enable you to think honestly. Ask yourself, is that true? You know, encourage you to search diligently within yourself. So only people with courage are willing to do these inventories. There was a time I hated doing inventory. Oh my God, what's my sponsor going to tell me? I love it today. I know I'm going to get freedom on the other side. It says, if you wish, you can join us on this broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. Here's the, here's the hook. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. See, we're trying to get this consciousness. With this attitude, you cannot fail. What a great attitude. Then it goes into saying, and we agnostics watch it. It's great stuff. We like it. We still like it. See, self-reliance is a lot of logic. I'm old enough. I should know better. It's not by chance we were given the power to reason, right? To examine the evidence of our senses and to draw conclusions. I mean, I love it says we are victims of the delusion that we can rest satisfaction and happiness if we just manage well. Now, rest means to seize by force this delusional mind, 
that even if you prove to me that I am wrong, I just think you're lying. I believe it. It's not denial. It's delusion to be right or happy, right? I want to be both. I, I really want to be right. But if happiness comes with it, no, I'll take it. I mean, let's be honest, you know? Oh, I swear I'm doing one other Zoom meeting uh, Thursday uh, because once again, I can't say no to this particular individual. And um, I got the talk together and then I went in and binge watched TV. Now I haven't binge watched TV since Mad Men. Uh -huh. Binge watched TV and missed the Zoom meeting. Did the talk, me and God that morning, did the whole thing. When I realized, I, oh my God, I missed the meeting. I, there's five minutes left of it. I come diving in here. I look like doo-doo. I turn on the uh, Zoom and you know the guy goes, hey, there's Katie. And, and then I just bold-faced lied to the whole group. I said, oh my God, I got the time wrong. And I just couldn't bring myself to be honest. See why? Because we lie. You know, people, I, I don't lie. Oh, you lie by saying you don't lie. You, you scare me bad enough, a lie will shoot out of my mouth. Now, when I go to that meeting on Thursday, I will tell them, I'm not going to tell them why I missed it. It's not necessary. What's important is that I lied to that group. See, that's what's important. Okay, back again. Okay, so it says, this is one of man's magnificent attributes, this reasoning. Well, if they understood why I did it, they might have mercy on me. Whatever. It says, uh, we agnostically inclined would not feel satisfied with a proposal which does not lend itself to a reasonable approach and interpretation. Doesn't that sound like a bunch of big old fat words? I'm not the strongest when it comes to, to education. So, so what does that mean? Well, say you got a problem. You go ask 10 people in AA because you are deeply looking for human aid to fix it. How do I know all this? Because I've done it all. Everything I'm saying, I've done. So we go ask 10 people and then we let that logic, that mind of reason, figure it out. Now, let me tell you what, the, what you should be doing is write inventory so you can find out the truth. Write a fear inventory. Write a resentment inventory. Write a conduct inventory. Emphasis on sex, fine. But a conduct inventory is what the sex inventory turns into when you, I'd like to say, get your sex life in order, right? Then it says, remember, deep down inside is the undeniable voice of God. It's just blocked by the calamity, right? The clamor of the world. So think about that. Self-reliance failed us. That where, does, where do we understand all this? I think it starts in the third step, right? That second surrender, people call it emotional sobriety. I don't care what you call it, but you got to understand the third step. So when somebody calls me and they're in a real jackpot, I always say, well, what, what's the third step meaning? And they always say, I turn my will and my life over to care of God as I understood them. Almost all the time, they will quote off the wall, right? The step off the wall. What's the 10 step? Continue to take personal inventory. What are the directions in the inventory? Right? This is what's important. You have to take that attitude and ask yourself, how much do you really know? Or how much do you believe you know? And so that what the third step means to me is uh, I was working a program based on the abstinence of alcohol. I did not understand that selfishness and self-centeredness were the root of my trouble because you see, I was voted most likable four years in a row in high school. Clearly, I am not self-centered. Now, Charlie Parker was my best friend for 20 years. 
wowza. He was screaming self-centered. He obviously got that bullet, but I didn't. Oh, missed the whole thing. Didn't even understand that part of it. I thought it meant only when I was drinking. Now I'm working a program based on the abstinence of alcohol, right? You do that between 18 months and three years is when the shine starts to wear off, right? The newness of this thing is no longer good. Why? Because that guy is working a program based on the abstinence of alcohol. He doesn't understand selfishness and self-centeredness, right? And that's where we're going to get more and more into what that's trying to wake me up to. So he hits a wall between 18 months and three years because he thinks AA has he's taken him far enough. He's done enough of these commitments, right? These people, I'm done with them. And so he goes out of here. He doesn't even understand what the real problem is. He hits another wall. If he stays sober, he hits another wall between three and five. And the guy in the rooms is hitting the same wall between three and five, five and seven, seven and 12, 12 and 15. About every three to five years, you hit a spiritual wall that is a dandy, right? Because that is what is required. You wake up more and more. It's kind of like if you're 20 years old, somebody that's 20 and somebody that's 40 has a lot more experience at 40 years old than a 20 year old. In your 20s, you're bulletproof. You try to find yourself in your 30s. You, you, you defined it in the 40s and look back at it, right? In your 50s, now you got mortality biting at your butt. So you see things just a little bit different. Hopefully your kids are all raised. You're looking at how you did. In your 60s, you're just laid back watching it all. Right, take the high road. Why not? I don't want to argue anymore. I'm tired. Let one of those 20, 30 year olds argue the point. I'm done. Right. Group conscience. I'm chilled. <laughs> not in my 20s and 30s. I was not chilled in the group conscience. So this selfishness and self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles. We are driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Oh, don't they ever right? Sometimes they hurt us, seeming without provocation, but invariably we find that we've made a decision based on self that later placed me in a position to be hurt. See, I don't even know because I'm a victim of my own mind. I don't even know that I made that decision till I do the inventory then all, or make the call. The 10th step call may not be written out. I may just call Marty and then she just kind of does this fact-finding mission and she nails me. And all of a sudden I go, I, I remember clearly making that decision. I had no idea until we start going back and re-examining it. It's just a must, right? And so, <clears throat> see, my DNA is not that I think too much of myself or too little of myself. All I think about is me. There you go. And that doesn't matter. 36 years sober, I'm better than I've ever been. But let me tell you, I still think a lot about me. And what it's saying in the third step, right? From page 60, it says we were now at step three to page 63, or excuse me, it says on page 60, we were at step three in italics. On page 63, it says we are now at step three. Hmm, interesting, not in italics. Why? I, this is my interpretation of why. I think they're getting ready to show me the many different ways that self shows up. And on page 63, the prayer is the affirmation of the decision that I now understand the many different ways that self shows up. And I'm going to ask God to help me from the bondage of self, right? Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? So it says that uh, on page 60, the first requirements that I got to be convinced that any life run on self will can hardly be a success, whatever. 
I mean, I'm telling you what, guys, self-reliance didn't fail me. I could give you a host of things. I left home at 15. I got through high school. I got a lady to rent me a house. I, I knocked on doors to get work. Self-reliance did not fail me. So you want me to lay down this self-reliant tool for your hinky toolkit, a spiritual toolkit? I'm not going to do it because self-reliance still worked for me. It still worked for me today. I'm a very convincing individual. It's very dangerous. I'm much more awake and aware to my traps, but let me tell you, they can sneak in there. It says we're almost always in collision with somebody or something, even though our motives are good. So people say, check your motives, right? Well, if they're good, I'm not gonna check them. So it's trying to wake me up to these good motives because you see the new guy learns integrity, dignity, honor, respect, all of these things, right? When he comes into AA. And so the next thing you know, he's busting his hump trying to help out. Uh, and then he begins to think everybody's taking advantage of him. See, I don't know I have a kind motive until you don't react the way I want you to. I'm the actor running the whole show. I'm forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way, right? Oh my gosh, I'm over here working an angle. Let me tell you, it's this delusional mind. And that's what the delusion tells me. If only my arrangements would stay put. If only people would do as I wish, the show would be great. Everyone, including myself, would be happy. It would be Katie-topia. So you take these stellar motives and you take this delusional mind that if everybody did the way I want them to do and I filter my actions through there, uh, when I screw up, I'm going to explain why. If you guys would have hit your mark, it would have worked out great. See, the third step is very, very important. <clears throat> I didn't understand any of this till after 17 years. Talks about the toolkit of self-will in the third step and trying to make these arrangements. Our actor may be kind, considerate, patient, generous. My sponsor likes to say, I'm just a giver, just trying to be helpful. And then if I don't get my way, I'm mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Then it goes into the, the play, right? Here it is. What happens? Phone call, 10 step comes. What happened? The show didn't come off very well, right? You bet. That's what that 10 step calls about. Don't go, I know what my sponsor's going to tell me. Oh, she's going to hear the same old thing. I'm sick of bugging her. Don't do that. The ego's constantly trying to convince you to stop the process. And then it says he begins to think life doesn't treat him right. Oh, there's the self-pity. Decides to exert himself more. Here's the driven by fear. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious. There's that toolkit of self-will. How am I going to handle this? Because we are movers and shakers. Don't you fool yourself. Just because you got sober, you are still as much a mover and a shaker as you were back then. Matter of fact, you got a better toolkit now because it's spiritually armed. And it says, <clears throat> still the play doesn't suit me, right? Admitting others were wrong as far as most of us ever get. Watch how often you blame. You blame everybody. Me too, right? Remember when I say you, I mean me. And if that bothers you, oh, come on. Uh, oh, I just heard a beep. I hope everything's going smooth. We still going smooth? Mm-hmm. I see somebody nodding their head backwards. Uh-huh. Coming at you strong. I warned you. It says, <clears throat> Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure others are more to blame. He becomes angry, column two, indignant, column three, self-pity, column four. Do you hear the inventory in that? It's constantly trying to wake us up. I don't care if you have a high-end problem. A problem to a drunk is a problem. You know, somebody goes, well, you'd have gone a mile for a drink. Whatever, that doesn't touch me. So what's his basic trouble? Is he really not a self-seeker even when trying to be kind, right? That people pleaser, you know, uh, what you are is an approval sucker. 
I always say, let's bring all the people in that you please and ask them, how happy are you with Katie Parker? Oh, she's kind of bugging me, right? So I'll constantly remember, I'm the kind of person, I'll kill both of us, right? Says, isn't it evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And don't his actions make each of them wish to snatch and retaliate everything they can out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Goes into the beautiful thing about, so our troubles are basically of our own making. You bet they are. You know, the 12 and 12 kind of uses a different take on that. I, I, get, I get a little leery because it talks about um, it's a spiritual axiom if I'm disturbed, but the rest of it looks like I got to forgive a lot of people for being idiots. Well, that's a little, it's a little dangerous for the alcoholic. Our troubles are basically of our own making. So if I want to be free, the problem's got to be me. They arise out of ourself. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run, right? Though he usually doesn't think so. Hmm? Says we can't reduce our self-centeredness much by working on our own power. See, so I can't all of a sudden go, oh, then I am going to be less self-centered. It doesn't work that way, right? Self-knowledge or awareness is important to see what's driving me. My values, my old ideas, where do they show up? In a third column of a four column resentment inventory. My self-esteem, my pride, my ambition, my security. These are all my old ideas are driven by that. In a fear inventory, wherever self-reliance is, I don't care if you call it to second, in, second column, third column, don't even do columns, wherever self-reliance is. And then in the conduct inventory, it's all over it, right? Bitterness, uh, suspicion, jealousy. Uh, it's everywhere. <clears throat> if you scare me bad enough, I go into self-reliance. I don't go into God-reliance. And then it goes into the beautiful connection in that third step that says, quit, we have to quit playing God. Why? Because it didn't work. He, here's the decision. Next, we decided that God's going to be our director. He's the principal. We're his agents, right? This is beautiful. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed. Here's the terms of the deal. If we keep close to him and perform his work well, that means to continue to stay on block by doing inventory, making amends, and taking care of God's kids, our drunks. It's an amazing thing. And then we've got the four step, which I've got very little time for. But as you know, we're looking for selfishness in the resentment uh, inventory. Resentment is, where's my selfishness? You didn't do what I wanted you to do. Where's the selfishness and fear? I'm afraid you're not going to do what I want you to do. And then the harms list, right? The inventory, the sex inventory, the conduct inventory is I feel guilty for what I did. See, <clears throat> when it says the 10th step, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through, because uh, I'm sorry, I thought I had 45 minutes or 55 minutes actually. So I'm just going to jump into so I think a lot of people sit, don't, don't understand six and seven. And, and I think they go to the 12 and 12. If that helps you, fine. I, I believe we just spent 75 pages pulling up inventory and getting Katie Parker, exactly how Katie Parker shows up with Charlie Parker, exactly how Katie shows up with the neighbor, exactly how Katie shows up with her kids. <clears throat> I am very clear the way I show up. Is it objectionable to me? That's the key. If it's not objectionable to me, rock on, brother. You ain't going to touch it, right? You may feel bad for it, but then it goes to the, the third step says I'm almost always in collision with somebody or something. The 10th step says we cease fighting anything or anyone. So if that is the case, 
then we must look deeper into what happened between all of that, right? This 10th step, I love, one of the things about the 10th step, I'm gonna get to, uh, uh, oh, I got 30. I'm going over about three minutes, bear with me. The 10th step, think about this. The idea of watching for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear is much different than waiting for it to show up. It tells us in the 10th step, the four things we are to do. Right. The 11th step says to check my work at the end of the day. Right. The 11th step is the evening review. So I'm going to check my work. Try not to just answer those questions. Yes and no. Give it some depth. Write a four column inventory if you're pissed off. Write a fear inventory if you're pissed off. They may or may not see your sponsor. You may actually get God to tell you about that because we're going to look for those corrective measures and take those into on awakening. And then it's good since we're going to think about our 24 hours ahead. We're going to consider our plans, be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives, right? And here's the interesting part. In Bill's story, Bill's story never touched me. But I, I, since we've studied it, it's amazing what it does for me. It says, at the hospital, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. There, I humbly, humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him. That's that spiritual growth, right? Because it says, as I then understood it. It's trying to let us know that this relationship with God is ever changing. Hopefully it is. Remember, we talked about experience and, and maturity. It says to do with me as he would. I place myself undeservedly under his care and direction. I have not had a drink since. I was to test my thinking by my new God conscious, not thought life, but God conscious life, right? The 11th step tells us to pause when agitated or doubtful. Pause, ask, remind, and say crucial. That is a gift, a two-second spiritual gift. I'm more doubtful than I am agitated. It says common sense would thus become uncommon sense. God's going to explain, the. It, it goes on to explain the rest of the steps in Bill's story. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. I personally love calling God of my understanding, my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living, which would answer all my problems. Belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility, think of all three of those things, to establish and maintain the new order of things were essential requirements. This is huge, guys. In order to be honest, I got to run it past my sponsor so she can help me be honest, because by nature, I can't differentiate the truth from the false. I can't see a picture when I'm in it. I must turn in all things to the Father of life who presides over all of us. While I laid in that hospital, the thought came to me that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what I have been so freely given. Perhaps I could help some of them. They in turn would help others. This is what we're talking about, God. Guys, I thank God and I thank Bill Wilson. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here. Thank you very much.